With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Josh, are you getting hyped for Rivalry Week? I, I hadn't heard anything, Gene. I wasn't aware. I thought this was just a nut. No, of course I am. Um, super jacked, ready for this weekend. How about you, man? Yeah, man, I am, I am super excited. Um, if you guys read uh, Josh and I's uh, little You're Nuts com on Monday this week, you kind of saw we both come from kind of different backgrounds. Josh more growing up in this rivalry and me kind of adapting it later in life as I, as I wound up going to Ohio State from New York, which isn't exactly a place that loves its college football. But both of us are very, very excited for this one, as I'm sure all of Buckeye Nation is. Um, before we kind of get into our usual... Uh, our usual hijinks in our, in our preview of this huge game coming up this weekend in Ann Arbor. There are some little news and notes and stuff to touch on this weekend, uh, this week, I should say. First of all, um, on this day, which is Tuesday on the morning, they announced the Bolitnikoff, uh, the Bolitnikoff Award finalists. Um, those three being David Bell from Purdue, Jordan Addison from Pitt, and Jamison Williams from Alabama. Josh, do you see anything missing there? Uh, I see three things missing, but, but... I have to say, I'm not shocked. You know, those three finalists are all well-deserving. And I think that the Ohio statewide receivers sort of cannibalize each other, um, but sort of in, in the best way, right? You would ask for nothing else, and, and they would probably ask for nothing else than to all kind of play together and play for the Buckeyes. So I'm not shocked. I think if you were looking at talent or NFL prospects or or something like that, the Ohio State guys would definitely be up there. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, I don't think these guys are going to lose sleep over it. And hopefully it's actually a little bit of extra motivation to finish out the season. Yeah, from what I understand, I think each school is only allowed to have one representative. And because of that, you know, Ohio State's wide receivers all probably wound up splitting votes. You know, I'm sure multiple people voted for Gary Wilson, multiple people voted for Chris Olave, multiple people voted later on for Jackson Smith and Jigba. And so I think, you know, the combination of all of that, uh, I, I think it kind of ruined any of the Ohio State wide receivers' chances. They were all too good for their own good, I guess you could say. 
yeah, Jordan Addison from Pitt, I actually think should, you know, of the finalists, I think he should win it. I know he probably won't because he doesn't play at, a, you know, the brand of Alabama or have kind of the hype of David Bell, both playing in, in more of a, a bigger schools. But Jordan Addison's had a really good year at Pitt. He's a really good wide receiver. But yeah, like you said, uh, maybe it'll be more motivation for these Ohio State wide receivers. I don't know how much better they could play or how much more motivation they need, especially in the game that's coming up. But it was kind of, you know, kind of sad to see that none of these guys will, will get the, the credit they deserve winning the award for the best receiver in college football and that neither of the three best receivers in college football are even up for this award and, and the finalist. I saw, you know, Adam Rittenberg of ESPN kind of joke that uh, Brian Hartline should should take home this award, and I don't think that's far off base. I think that, you know, this Ohio State wide receiver room was pretty ridiculous, and although that none of these guys wanted winning the Belinikoff, they're all certainly deserving and that they kind of, like you said, they're them all playing on the same team kind of ruined their own chances, and it sucks to see, but... You know, I'm sure they're not, you know, losing sleep over it. And I'm sure that they're going to, you know, move forward playing just as well as they have been all year. And, you know, we can't ask much more of them. I don't think that, you know, I don't think it's going to gonna take anything away from them. I don't think they're going out there like, man, I didn't get the Blitnikoff. I, I'm quitting college football. Like it's, I'm sure they'll be just fine, like you said. Yeah, and hopefully they are all able to share in a bigger award and a bigger trophy or trophies later on down the road, too. Absolutely. I'm sure they're more looking forward to the the group trophy that could come at the end of the season rather than the individual accolades. But talking about um, individual teams and things that could be won at the end of the year, or even just teams in general and the way that they're constructed, we got some, some Big Ten coaching news on Tuesday afternoon as well. Uh, uh, one Mr. James Franklin, who many pegged to land at either USC or LSU, or one of the many, many coaching vacancies that will be going on this offseason. James Franklin has received a 10-year extension at Penn State. Um, kind of confusing, kind of kind of a little bit surprising based on, you know, a lot of the discourse going on this season and the fact that, you know, some people had, had kind of thought that after the Ohio State game, James Franklin had kind of checked out and already been thinking about his new job. But it appears that James Franklin will be spending the next, you know, the next decade in in state college. Uh, Josh, what do you what do you think of this move for Penn State? I'm kind of, you know, I, I think that James Franklin's done a really good job over there. I think the recruiting is is getting better with each year. I think that he's done obviously a tremendous job of at least being competitive with Ohio State, even though he's only beaten them once. I think the Penn State game is probably Ohio State's most competitive game in the regular season year in and year out. I don't know, you know, if this is. I kind of feel like he's reached the ceiling for Penn State in that regard, but at the same time, like I don't know how much more Penn State expects at this current time. So I actually agree with you that he probably has reached a ceiling, but all it took was a couple of minutes for me to really think about this, and I'm actually not surprised for this reason. The coaching market is going to be very saturated. So from James Franklin's standpoint, if he wanted one of these other jobs, whether it was Florida, LSU, whatever it's going to be, th- there's going to be increased competition for those jobs just due to all of the turnover. And from Penn State's point of view, they will have the same amount of competition for candidates. So it- it's almost like a marriage of convenience when I look at it that way, <clears throat> Excuse me. in that you at least lock something down. You lock down a known entity. Obviously, James Franklin has had success, and he is familiar with the school and all of that good stuff, and he's got a good, a great recruiting class coming in. So when I look at it that way, I'm not altogether surprised because I think that it, it just – you save yourself some of the headache, really in the the market and in, in what everything that's going to transpire during the off season because there there are all of these jobs and all the great candidates that kind of will rise to the the forefront 
I, I think it came down to what was convenient and where can we can, where can we still be successful mutually beneficial is the way that I would best describe it. Yeah, it is a little bit interesting. I know that it's going to be a really wild, as you said, a wild coaching carousel this offseason with how many job vacancies there are at some pretty big programs across the country. I saw a tweet earlier today, though, about kind of comparing James Franklin to Dan Mullen and, and what they've been able to do at their respective schools. Obviously, Dan Mullen being fired by Florida this past weekend. Um, you know, James Franklin, 31 and 15 overall since 21 and eight, since 2018. Dan Mullen, 34 and 15. Uh, in conference, Dan Mullen, 21 and 13. James Franklin, 21 and 14. Uh, James Franklin, one top 15 finish. Dan Mullen, three top 15 finishes. Uh, James Franklin, one bowl win. And, and Dan Mullen, two bowl wins. So it's kind of interesting to see, you know, the, the uh, one coach gets fired, the other gets a 10-year extension. Obviously, these situations were a little bit different. I think the trajectories of both programs played a big part. And I think that Dan Mullen's own comments to the media about recruiting and other things didn't exactly play well, given the team's ter- current stature. But it is, you know, kind of interesting to see the differences in what is acceptable at one program versus another, and kind of you know how your perception to the world and the, the the trend of your program, the direction you have your program heading, is a is a huge factor in whether you're fired or you get a ten year extension. Yeah, James Franklin is thirty one and fifteen since twenty eighteen. I saw the the same tweet. I it was right before the pod, so I don't remember who put that out. But you know, you also have to look at Penn State's history. They had Joe Paterno for decades, obviously. Bill O'Brien was successful, and then he left for the NFL. And now James Franklin's been there for a handful of years. Um, and so I think that that is kind of where they want to be. I, I don't know if comfort, a level of comfort, is the right kind of way to describe it, but they are not as keen on the turnover and looking you know, every couple of seasons for that hot name that could lead them to you know, greener pastures or more success. They they want some stability in their program, it seems like. And James Franklin has provided that. Now, I, I could poke holes in that argument. You know, they're going to end up with four or five losses this season. And I try not to hold last year against anybody or any team, but it happened. I mean, Penn State was dreadful, especially at the beginning of last season. So he needs to turn this thing around. I, I don't know. I heard a little bit about the buyout. I think that from the school standpoint, it's very high if they decide to separate. Whereas James Franklin, um, you know, depending on if or when he decided to leave, it would be like a six, eight, twelve million dollar buyout on his end. But um, yeah, you know, I, I I initially scratched my head just because what are you trying to be? Are you content with second or third or fourth best? Or do you want to beat Ohio State? Do you want to be the big dog? And I don't think Penn State's complacent, but it, it, I don't know, if it were me, I probably would have let this thing play out. But it, the risk in doing that is James Franklin immediately jumps ship and you're caught kind of, uh, you know, with your pants down and, and maybe you're looking for a candidate and they're your second, third, fourth, even fifth option. So there are a lot of factors that go into it. At the least, though, at the very least, I think that James Franklin will continue to provide stability. And for Penn State's, hopefully from Penn State's point of view, he can kind of take them back up to that upper upper echelon, although I'm dubious of his ability to do so. 
Yeah, and I do think, you know, I think recruiting plays a big part in this. I think that he's done, you know, a really good job at Penn State recruiting-wise. I think he's done a really good job of getting guys to the league. You know, we've seen, you know, pretty pretty decent NFL superstars like Micah Parsons and Saquon Barkley come out of Penn State in, in recent years. And so I think all of that plays a big part in it. Like you said, stability is important. But from one Big Ten head coach to another, uh, Ryan Day had his weekly press conference today. I believe it's the last uh, media availability for the team before they head to Ann Arbor. Um, just some little news and notes from him from today's press conference. He talked a little bit about Craig Young earning additional playing time at cover safety. He said he's been really good in practice, said he's had a really great attitude. So that is something that we uh, especially love to see here at this podcast. We are big. I, I know I'm specifically a big Craig Young guy. I think Josh is pretty in on him as well. We'd like to see more of him back there. Um, in terms of some other guys at the linebacker position, Cody Simon, uh, he, he got injured on the first drive of the last game. Uh, he didn't come back in afterwards. He said his injury doesn't seem long-term. It seems like Ohio State this year is only determining injuries as long-term or not long-term. So it's it's. I don't know if Cody Simon will play this week, but it doesn't seem like it's anything super serious. They're also hoping to have a Mecca Agbuka back, which would be great for the the return game. It seems like Ohio State, you know, the, the one flaw, if you want to talk about it, was special teams and not having a Mecca Agbuka back there to return the, the two kicks that they saw all game. But um yeah, I, I, you know, they're hoping to have both those guys back. And then he just kind of talked about the importance of the rivalry, and it's all the usual things we love to hear from Ohio State, and it's one of the main reasons I think Ohio State has been so successful successful in this rivalry is because of how serious they take this game. Ohio State plans, like, you know, a couple of the players spoke today as well. They, they're, they're all saying, you know, Ohio State plans for this game 365 days a year. It's not just this week. You know, every week is about beating Michigan. When you're recruited to Ohio State, the number one, you know, point of emphasis is that you have to beat Michigan at the end of the year. And I think that, you know, if you don't have, if, if one team has that kind of of emphasis on the game and the other doesn't, which it doesn't seem Michigan has had the last couple of years. I think that, you know, that's a big reason why Ohio State's won 15 in the last 16 and each of the last eight. They're taking it more seriously. It's a game they have circled on their calendar every day of the year, not just the week that they have to prep for them. And I think that, you know, all of that goes into it. And hearing Ryan Day just reinforce that this week shows why, you know, why Ohio State's been able to win all these games. Yeah, Ryan Day gets it and he's not the first coach. Um, this rivalry is for my money and for a lot of people, it's the greatest rivalry in sports, especially in North America. I mean, we can go into an English Premier League kind of uh, conversation another time, but it, it, it just means more. It really does. To borrow a line from the SEC, this game means more than just about anything. And he gets it. It's been passed on down to him from Urban Meyer Jim Trestle, and even go back, back. obviously, Woody, Earl Bruce, guys like that. Um, this is the year. It's what it comes down to, <clears throat> excuse me, with the exception of championship contention. And I, I just, I love what I hear from Ryan Day because it's not just today's press conference. He really, he lives it. He speaks it, um, you know, throughout the year. It really means a lot to him. And he's able to pass that on to the players. And you know, they're going to be juiced for this on Saturday too. Yeah, for sure. I think it's important how he talks about, you know, talking about it with recruits and when guys coming in, making sure they know that this is so important because you have, you know, especially on this Ohio State team, there's a lot of young guys out there. You know, Trayvon Henderson, a freshman, uh, you know, Denzel Burke, a freshman, two guys that are big parts of this team and guys that have to be really good on Saturday. And those are guys that haven't played in the rivalry. They're not from Ohio, so they don't, you know, they didn't grow up in it. Um, so I think it's important that they kind of instill that that into the players. I'm sure that the players that have been around are talking to a lot of those guys this week and talking about, you know, just how important this is. Obviously, guys like, you know, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson have been around in this rivalry for years now. They understand it, but I'm sure that it's, you know, that they talk about the brotherhood. I'm sure all these guys are, you know, getting getting amped up for it. Like, you know, I've seen... Now, there was a quote today 
uh, or from yesterday from Cade McNamara talking about how they're not, you know, super worried about the Ohio State defense and people trying to make it. Bulletin board material for Ohio State. And Ryan Day kind of shot that down in his press conference today, too. He's kind of like, you know, we don't really, we don't need more bulletin board material for this game. We have enough, you know, juice on our own going into it. So I, I think that, you know, these these guys are, are locked in for this game as they would be any other game, but especially this week. And, you know, they, they understand, especially this time around where Michigan's actually really good. And, you know, there's a trip to both the Big Ten Championship and the College Football Playoff on the line. I don't know how much more locked in you you need or how much outside, like, influence you would need to, to be ready for this game. But if Ohio State's going to, you know, we we saw them play their best game of the year thus far against Michigan State, and if they're going to have a similar performance against any team, I don't see why they wouldn't have it ready for the team that they've been planning to beat all year. Yeah, no extra motivation necessary. You hit it on the head, and I think Michigan so far has done a good job. Their players have done a good job so far of, you know, I, I had no issue with what Caden McNamara had to say. Um their good linebacker, uh, he's their leading tackler. Gosh, it's going to come to me in a second. Josh Ross had a little something to say, but I don't think it was egregious. I don't think there was anything wrong with it. And I think they've done a good job of not providing like concrete big time bulletin board material. We've seen Michigan players do that in the past and it, uh, it, it didn't work out so well for them. Right. So I, I think that Maybe it's taken a handful of years. I, I don't know what it is, but I think the the importance has really started to kind of sink in. And it, it's odd that Jim Harbaugh has not, you know, brought this brought this on even more so because he is a Michigan alum. He has played in this rivalry too, and you know, up till now he hasn't been as outspoken about the rivalry. But it seems like he is more so this year. And so he's trying to get his guys ready to go, too. I think it's going to be a hell of a game. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh had a quote this week about how he sees a lot of you know, a lot of himself and his own motivation in his players. I'm not sure how positive a quote that is to take from the outside looking in, but you know, he, he seems like he's got his guys ready to go for this one. I don't know if they're still, you know, I don't know if Michigan's program, I'm not on the inside of Michigan. I'm not following the Michigan beat reporters. I don't know if, you know, on the inside Michigan is taking this as seriously as Ohio State is with the lengths they go to beat Michigan, but it does seem like this year's team is really good and they'll be focused as well, especially having this game at home. Josh, I wanted to ask you before we sort of get into a little bit of the breakdown of this one. Do you think that there's any extra motivation for Ryan Day in Ohio State after, you know, Michigan perceived ducked the game in 2020? Do you think they, they take that personally? Because obviously, you know, if Michigan did in fact duck that game on purpose, um, it was to try to keep Ohio State out of the Big Ten title game because they wouldn't have qualified at that point. So do you think that, one, do you think that they did it on purpose? And two, do you think there's any extra motivation from Ohio State because of what happened last year? I think last year was they were given a um, convenient excuse. Uh, you know, with the pandemic, I, I don't know. I can't come out and say, hey, yes, they, they did this intentionally. But it was a convenient excuse, right? So that's the first part of it. And as, as for the other part of it, I think that Ryan Day would probably tell you, me, or anyone outside the program that last year plays no role, but Ryan Day has got an edge. You know, he's talked about hanging a hundred on him. He speaks about this rivalry so intently, um, you know, throughout the season, throughout the year and everything that I do think that deep down within himself, he is going to use that as some sort of motivation. And I think in private with his team and with his coaches, he will use that as a talking point. 
Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Ryan Day is the type of guy that seems to to have grudges against coaches in in the Big Ten, especially. You know, we've seen kind of how he's treated Mike Loxley's Maryland teams for their you know perceived slight against Chase Young back back in that 2019 season. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he still holds a grudge against Jim Harbaugh for maybe he did that it against old... Michigan State too. I'm convinced. Yeah, yeah he that, that was, was brutal. All hands on deck, balls to the wall. They had a game plan, and it was aggressive from the get-go last week. So I think that, yes, he uses motivation when necessary, and he uses it often. Yeah, and, you know, if he wants to do it in this game, I'm not going to complain. It's it's worked out pretty well. But uh, let's let's talk about this Wolverines team. Um, it, it's probably one of the better ones we've seen in at least the last, you know, four or five years from out in Ann Arbor. I think that they've, you know, while some of their numbers may be inflated, and we'll get to that in a little bit, I do think this is a very, very solid Michigan team. Obviously, they come into this game at 10-1, 7-1 in conference, that one lone loss on the road at Michigan State. Um, this team... This team is a, a more of a defense-first team uh, than we're used to seeing at Michigan. They are the number nine total defense in the country. They come in as the number thirty rushing defense and the number eight uh, number eight in passing yards allowed on the season. The offense is uh, it's very efficient. I wouldn't say it's explosive. It's not like Ohio State's. Ohio State ranks number one in the country right now at, at nearly six hundred yards per game offensively, which is just insane. But Michigan does rank number twenty-three, so they are a very good offense uh, passing game. Not spectacular. They're number seventy-one in the country, but there are their run game is very good. It's number fifteen in the country. So this is going to be be, you know, kind of once again, uh, a little bit of a strength on strength here in this matchup because obviously Ohio State likes to pass. Michigan's been really good against the pass. And then obviously Michigan likes to run the ball and Ohio State's been really good against the run. So just in terms of, of an outside look before we break down the offense and the defense a little bit further, it does seem like this is a, a really true strength on strength matchup and one that should be really fun to watch. And we will learn a ton of whether these teams are actually what we think they are. Yeah, I think that Michigan is really good this year. But I had to do a a deeper dive into their schedule this year, and I can definitely poke holes in it. And you can do the same thing for Ohio State, sure, if you want. But um, we talked about it a little bit before the pod. They do not have – I don't think they have a ranked victory. I don't know what Penn State was at the time. Maybe they have won over 20-something Penn State. Um, But the first half – of their season. You're talking Western Michigan, uh, Washington. They just recently fired their coach. They're not a good team. Northern Illinois, Rutgers, garbage. They did beat uh, Wisconsin by three scores. Wisconsin had not yet found its stride. Obviously, they're coming on very strong. They eked one out against Nebraska. Uh, they beat Northwestern. You, me, and the rest of the land-grant team could probably be competitive with Northwestern. Lost to Michigan State. Um, the Nebraska game, they should have lost when you really think about it. Um, and then they really put it on Maryland in their most recent game. So, yeah, I think that they're very good, but I, I thought that in the past, you know, they were ranked in 2018 and 2019 and Ohio state thrashed them. So we could, and, and I would love it if that were the case, we could be in store for another beat down, but I do think it will be more competitive this year. Yeah, and, and Vegas thinks so as well. Obviously, you know, it's, a, it's about a seven, seven and a half point line in favor of Ohio State, which is definitely a lot closer than, than I would have pegged it at. But, you know, Vegas generally knows what they're talking about. And yeah, like you said, Michigan's schedule is nothing to really write home about. They, they beat Rutgers by seven. They beat a Wisconsin team that was one and three at the time. Um, they lost to the Michigan State team that wasn't even competitive against Ohio State. And, you know, it was on the road, but... 
you know, with how Ohio State made that team look, you would think that a team ranked as highly as Michigan would have done at least a similar thing. And I know that they're not as good of a, a passing team as Ohio State, and that's really the the downfall of that Michigan State defense. But at the same time, you know, it's nothing, you know, there's no game on here. There's no ranked wins. There's nothing on here where I was really like, wow, this Michigan team is is really impressive this year. And, I, you know, they've played really good football. They've they've impressed a lot of people. I'm not, like you said, I'm not super convinced that they're, you know, the number six team in the country. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. I think, well, you know, this will be the game that will tell. And it's, it's tough to say that in the last game of the regular season. But I think that's just kind of how it is. That's how life is in the Big Ten. You know, you don't really, you don't learn about a lot about the elite teams until they play another elite team. And this is really the first the first huge test for Michigan on the season. And I guess you could kind of say the same about Ohio State with this against Michigan, but at least, you know, at least Ohio State now has, you know, back-to-back wins over ranked teams. And while Purdue may not be the most impressive team in the world, and Michigan State obviously has its flaws, it's still a little bit more than what we've seen on paper from Michigan. So it will be interesting to see, but nevertheless, Michigan does come in here with the, uh, well, actually, the Ohio State goes in there, uh, with Michigan having an offense that is surrounded around the run game. Uh, they have a, a two-man backfield up there in Hassan Haskins, who is their leader with over 1,000 yards on the season, 13 touchdowns, averaging about five yards per carry. And then Blake Corum is, is their other man back there, 778 yards and 10 touchdowns, around six yards per carry. Corum has missed the last couple of games. I believe he's uh, going to be back against Ohio State, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, Cade McNamara is obviously their starter quarterback, and he's actually been pretty good this year. I know that, you know, people, uh, he didn't really look that great last year, and people weren't very high on him, but I think he has actually played really well this year. He's one of the better um, non-Ohio State quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Uh, the pass game is, is not very explosive, but it is very efficient. He's thrown for over 2,100 yards. He's got 14 touchdowns and only two picks this year, so he's not turning the ball over. Um, they, they've done well out there, especially without having Ronnie Bell, who was supposed to be their star receiver this year. He's been out for the year. Um, but in his place, a few guys have stepped up, mainly Cornelius Johnson, who is the team's leading receiver at 35 catches for 546 yards and three touchdowns, which if you you know if you look at Ohio State's receivers, it's not quite to their level, but he is their leading receiver. Um, they also have tight end Eric All, who is a very legitimate threat in the passing game. He's second on the team with 31 catches for 324 yards and a touchdown. He most notably had that game winner against Penn State. Um, they also do pass to Corm and Haskins a little bit out of the backfield. Uh, but other than that, it's really a, a receiver room by committee. They have you know a talented freshman in Andrell Anthony who had a big game against MSU, but hasn't really done much else. And you know, that's also, putting it lightly, Gene. He yeah. had that huge breakout game of like 150 yards, and I looked back; he has exactly one catch in each of the three games since. Yeah, I thought that was going to be kind of his like Chris Olave game, where you have a big game against your rival and kind of take it from there. But it hasn't quite happened. Um, and then, yeah, just to just to round out the offense a little bit, the offensive line has played really well for them this season. There, you know, according to Football Outsiders, who does a lot of good stats on offensive line, which is kind of hard to gauge at sometimes. Uh, they're 25th in average line yards, third in sack rate. So they've done a good job both in the run and in the past game of, of holding up their block. So it will be another good test for Ohio State's defensive line, which has been playing well. And I think that, you know, with, you know, we're not we're not super high on Ohio State's linebackers, especially if Cody Simon might be a little dinged up, but Steel Chambers has been playing great. I think that, you know, the approach Ohio State had to stopping Kenneth Walker last week will be a very similar one that they'll go into this week looking for, although they do have to respect the pass a little bit more than they did against Michigan State. But at the same time, Michigan State probably had more elite receivers than Michigan has. So it's going to be an interesting matchup on that side of the ball with Ohio State's defense versus this Michigan offense. Yeah, I think it's a very similar matchup. I think that Michigan and Michigan State, they're both sort of the quote-unquote traditional Big Ten style. They rely on the run. That's where their bread is buttered. And They've got some really good backs back there. You mentioned Haskins. I, I'm with you. I assume that Blake Corum will be playing. Now, I don't think that we're going to know 
until kickoff because last week he warmed up with the team. He had his pads on and everything, and he did not play in that Maryland game. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, I don't think Jim Harbaugh will divulge any secrets, but I do think Corum plays. They said when he was initially injured that they didn't think that it was serious. So if both guys are available, and even if they're not, you know, Donovan Edwards is a really, really talented freshman. So they've got guys back there regardless. But similar to Michigan State, you know, they're going to rely on the run. And if they can't get that going, who knows? Um, Cade McNamara had a really good game against Michigan State, but who doesn't throwing the ball? Other than that, he's, you know, he's a buck 50 to 200 yards per game. They don't ask him to do a whole lot. And as a result, he doesn't turn the ball over. So that's good. Um, but if Ohio State can play as well against the run like they did last week, then I think they'll be in a really good spot. Um, we talked about the receivers. It's definitely a by-committee sort of thing. Yeah, Andrew Anthony could have another great game, but he's been very miss as opposed to hit outside of that one big game. Cornelius Johnson, talented, but nothing to write home about, in my opinion. I think you got to keep an eye out for the tight ends, which is always sort of a Michigan thing. You know, you go back to Jake Butt and guys like that, they like to utilize the tight end, but it's tradi- traditional Big Ten ball is the way I look at it. So Ohio State needs to be keyed in on the run. And I think the rest would hopefully take care of itself. Um, and I, they've we've seen less of J.J. McCarthy, obviously, as the season has gone on. So I don't anticipate any of the dual quarterback stuff or, you know, it would be very limited, I think, if we saw that. But he does provide a running um, element if he's ready to go. And so it's there as a possibility. But I think this game, I think Michigan's chances are going to lie not squarely on the shoulders of Cade McNamara, but I think there will be some pressure on him to perform well and up to a higher standard like he did against Michigan State if they want to keep this game really tight and have a chance to win, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I think they're obviously going to have to throw a little bit more than they're they're accustomed to against this Ohio State defense. Uh, while while we're on this subject of the Ohio State defense, I, I'm you know I I've, I've rewatched the Michigan State game at this point, um, and I know they're not going to do it. But Ohio State's best linebacker tandem they could have out there is uh, Steel Chambers and Court Williams. And I, I know they're not going to start Court Williams, but I would love to see him playing a ton in this game. You know, having rewatched that game against Michigan State, he was really, really good out there. And, you know, he, he plays a little bit of everything. They've had him at safety. They've had him at linebacker. They've had him at bullet. But I think as a true linebacker, as he was recruited, he and Steel Chambers could cause a lot of havoc out there. They're both really fast, really athletic players. They have a nose for the ball. They seem to always take the right angles and make the right decisions. And at linebacker, where Ohio State's been kind of lacking that that true like multiple athletic linebackers on the field at one time, I think that's going to be the way to go. But if Cody Simon isn't available, I do think we'll see a lot of Tommy Eichenberg in this game. And having watched that, yes. having watched that Michigan State game again, Tommy Eichenberg played really, really well. Cody Simon came out after the first drive in that game, and you didn't even really notice it because of how well Tommy Eichenberg played. He made a couple nice plays against Kenneth Walker. He seemed to be taking the right angles. He's really improved this year, and I think that you know we probably will see a lot of Tommy Eichenberg. And I thought he was really excellent against Michigan. And then on the back end, obviously Denzel Burke's your top guy. It seems like his shoulder injury isn't 
much to talk of. He, you know, they they kind of talked to him earlier this week, and he said he'll be fine for the Michigan game. Um, but then, you know, opposite him, I'm expecting to see more Cam Brown and Marcus Williamson. I don't I don't really expect to see much of Seven Banks at all for the rest of the year with how well the secondary played without him last last week. And you know, like Ryan Day said, Craig Young's another guy who you could see out there. I thought you know Cam Martinez and Lathan Ransom have both played well in the cover safety role. So you know, I think there's a lot of guys Ohio State could throw out there. I think their best defense right now would be to have Court Williams and Steel Chambers at linebacker. You know, with with Denzel Burke and Cam Brown as your outside corners, Marcus Williamson as your slot guy, and then having moving Ronnie Hickman back to true safety, letting Craig Young play the bullet, and then if you have a cover safety on the field, either Cam Martinez or Lathan Ransom. I would like to see that formation out there. I don't think we'll see it because we we refuse to have fun on defense, but that's what I would like to see. And I think against a team like Michigan, especially that would go a long way. I can't really disagree with you on any of those points, but I just, I have a feeling that this is going to be a Tommy Eichenberg game. I think that, you know, um, outside of the Oregon game, he has been really, really good specifically against the run. We know he's limited in coverage, but for a team that doesn't throw the ball that much like Michigan, you know, if they're going to re- continue to rely on the run game, as we saw against Michigan State, Tommy Eichenberg is a run stopper. And he's, he, like you said, he's really, really improved as the season has gone on. So I, it's funny, you know, I think earlier in the season, the rotations and the mixing and the matching, it, it sort of frustrated us as fans. But now I think it's a bit of a luxury because I think that those guys have gotten enough experience to where now you can sort of mix and match a little bit based on the matchup. Tommy Eichenberg is probably not going to be on the field very often in like third and long, but on first and second down, he's been a killer. Um, And then in those more where they're more apt to pass, where your opponent is more apt to pass, then I think that's where you're going to see more of steel chambers. And maybe it's court Williams. Cody Simon has been hit and miss, but more hit. So I think earlier where it was a frustration, it's now turned into something much more positive and much better for this Buckeyes defense. Yeah, and it's funny too. You know, we've seen in the past couple of years where Ohio State's linebackers have struggled. They've really struggled against tight ends in the passing game and against mobile quarterbacks. And we haven't really seen either of those come back to bite Ohio State this year. We've played, you know, Ohio State's played a couple of teams at this point with with really good tight ends, good receiving tight ends, and they haven't really done much damage against Ohio State. And I think Eric All will probably be the best one they've faced thus far. But I think Ohio State's linebackers, a combination of their linebackers and whoever's playing in the slot, have done a good job of shutting down that tight end receiving game. And, you know, they haven't really played a mobile quarterback, like you said, you know, Kate McNamara isn't the biggest running threat, but J.J. McCarthy is a little bit, so they will have to look out for that if he's on the in the field on the field. But at the same time, I think the linebackers have done you know well, and I think this is another game for the defensive line to really show out. They've been a huge reason why Ohio State's been so good against the run. I think both Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith have kind of been playing off each other and making each other better as the year has gone on, and I think they're both playing kind of the best football they've played down the stretch here, which is what you'd want. Um, the defensive tackles have all played really well, so I think all of that's going to come into play against this this Michigan run game. And if you know if that front seven, front six for Ohio State is really hitting, then I think this defense is in for a really good game. I don't know if Michigan is built. If Ohio State gets out to an early lead like they did against Michigan State, I don't know if this Michigan team is built to to put up points quickly and kind of come back from a hole. So, you know, obviously your your plan on offense is to get out to a quick start, but I do think that's super super important in this game because of the way that Ohio State's defense is structured and the way that Michigan's offense is structured. Yeah, I think game flow will dictate a lot, but I want to ask you specifically about the trenches. You mentioned uh, Michigan's offensive line. They played really well this year. Obviously, they have the rushing stats to back it up. If you just look at those two lines, 
and you know, honest opinion, who do you think has the edge there? Do you think it's Ohio State's defensive line or Michigan's offensive line? Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I think it all depends on which of Ohio State's defensive lines show up. We've seen some games this year, um, mainly like the Purdue one, where Ohio State hasn't been able to get much pressure. And then we've seen games, you know, even against Michigan State where they didn't have a ton of sacks, They that defensive line had a huge impact on that game, both in stopping the run and knocking down a ton of passes and just kind of being disruptive in the passing game. And, you know, that's really all they need to do. Zach Harrison, I think, said in his press conference today that, you know, a batted ball sometimes is almost as good as a sack because, it, you know, it ends the down and it even, it even creates the opportunity for an interception sometimes. So just being able to be disruptive, they don't have to go into this game and get, you know, four, five, six sacks. But if they're, they're getting Cade McNamara off a little bit, they're forcing some errant throws, they're, they're creating pressure and, and not letting him get through his reads, I think that plays a big role in this game. So if the, if the good Ohio State defensive line shows up, then I do think they have the edge there. I would like to see, you know, as I've talked about in probably the last two podcasts now, I'd like to see more Tyleek Williams. I think that pretty much every time he's taken the field, he's made a big play, and I don't know why he's not playing more. Um, I think Haskell Garrett has played okay, at least to his standards, but I don't think he's played really up to his level yet, so maybe he gets a little extra juice with this being the rivalry game. And I also think guys like Teron Vincent, Jerron Cage, Antoine Jackson, they've all played really well up the middle. So all those guys will be important in stopping the run. And if this defensive line is able to play the way we've seen them play in their better games, and I think that they've they've got a really good shot at, at kind of disrupting a lot of what Michigan is able to do on offense. Yeah, I think this needs to be an interior game. Maybe we do see more Tyleek Williams, um, heck, maybe even maybe we see even a little bit more JTT sliding inside, something like that, um, because I do think that is where I, I don't want to say that's where the game will be won or lost. But, you know, we've talked about it. We've, we've hit it over the head multiple times now. Michigan is going to live and die by the run. I don't think that I don't think that they're going to come out and surprise Ohio State. So it's really about execution. I think this week for Ohio State's defense, to your point, they've been a bit up and down, but if they're solid, then I like Ohio State's chances of um, kind of limiting some of the success of this Wolverine run run offense. Absolutely. And if we want to talk about defensive lines in this game, uh, Michigan's got a pretty good one. Uh, the defensive front is really where this this team has thrived on defense this year. They're led. The, the star of this unit is by far Aiden Hutchinson. He's got a team high 11 and a half tackles for loss and nine sacks. And then right behind him is David Ojabo, who is his right hand man, maybe the best overall player on this defense. He's got 10 tackles for loss, a team high 10 sacks. He's also been credited with a, a pretty crazy five force fumbles on the year. Um, the linebacker unit as a whole, you know, Aiden Hutchinson is really the star of that defensive line, but all of these linebackers have played really well. Uh, Josh Ross, you know, team's overall, team high, 80 tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss, two pass breakups. He's kind of their, their do-it-all guy. He's all over the field on defense. And then, you know, next to them, linebacker Junior Colson kind of rounds out that linebacker unit with 51 total tackles and a fumble recovery. So this this front seven's pretty good. You know, they've got a couple other guys on that defensive line, but nobody quite the level of Aiden Hutchinson. So it will be another important game for, you know, the tackles, NPF and Thayer Munford, not Thayer Munford, NPF and Dewan Jones, who have both played really well this season. And then this is probably one of the better 
secondaries Ohio State has faced this year, if not the best one. Uh, defensive back Daxton Hill shores up the back end. He's kind of more of a he's more of a safety. He moves around a little bit, but he's mostly a safety. He's got 53 total tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, seven pass breakups, a pair of picks. He's really good back there. He's a former five star recruit. Um, also in the defensive backfield, DJ Turner, who is tied for the team lead with two picks. He adds five pass breakups. And then Vincent Gray, who has five pass breakups as well and has a forced fumble. So a lot of big names on this defense. One of the better Michigan defenses we've seen in a while. Obviously, Don Brown is not there anymore, so we will not you know, have the luxury of being able to drop 62 on this purely man, purely press defense that refuses to guard mesh. But, you know, it's, it's an interesting, interesting matchup for an Ohio State offense that was not stopped at all last week. And I think they'll have a little bit tougher time scoring this week, at least a little bit more. Yeah, I think Mike McDonald has done some really good things in his first year as uh, their defensive coordinator. Um, Jim Harbaugh didn't look, have to look far to find him. Uh, he worked in Baltimore under Jim Harbaugh's brother, John. Um, and what I like about kind of his style and what he's done there is he really likes to mix it up. You know, they primarily run the four four man front, but they'll mix it up. You know, I've seen some kind of three man fronts. I think I've even seen a little bit of five, two at any given time. Um, and they've, they've got some really good athletes. I love both of their defensive ends. I think that Aiden Hutchinson is honestly, he's one of the best defensive ends in the country. Uh, in my opinion, I think he's going to be uh, a high NFL draft pick. I think that Ojibo is a bit more of a pass rushing specialist Yes, he has 10 sacks, but in 11 games, he has 30 total tackles. Um, so I think that, you know, you don't have to worry about him too much in the run game if you're Ohio State, but you obviously need to be aware of him regardless of where he's at on the field. Uh, you know, he's actually, I think he's listed as a linebacker, but to me, he's a pass rushing specialist. Um they're going to have their hands full with Hutchinson, but they also had their hands full with George Karloftis and some other good defensive ends and defensive linemen in the conference. And really to this point, Ohio State's offensive line has held up very, 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 very well, specifically um, in the passing game. We, we've had our, our gripes and our complaints, I guess, with some of the, the run game during certain games, especially interior, but I think that's sort of a game plan thing. Um, if they can contain those guys, then I think Ohio State's going to be able to move the ball like they have all season, really. Um, I, I don't think that they shy away from Hutchinson, but I think that we might see them go more towards, you know, the other side, wherever Ojibo is at. You know, I don't know if they're going to be on the same side of the field at any given time, but I, I do think that he can be exposed a little bit when you look specifically at those defensive ends. Um, and yeah, the linebackers, they're good. Um, I, I don't know that I would say they're great. I think Josh Ross is a really talented guy. He's got 80 tackles, obviously, on the season. He's their leading tackler by far, but I think Ohio, nothing that Michigan does up front should prohibit Ohio State from utilizing the middle of the field like they have done so successfully. You know, the crossing routes, the slants, um, the skinny posts, the things like that, more towards the middle of the field, especially kind of, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage. Ohio State feasts when they go that route. I think they're going to be able to do that as long as they protect C.J. Stroud. So I don't think Michigan's defense will really impact Ohio State's offensive game plan. But yeah, they do have a really good secondary. Daxton Hill, former five-star guy, 
Um, he's a center fielder back there and he can line up really all over the field. He can line up in the slot. He can play a little bit of cover corner. So he's really versatile. I think he's probably their second best defender, but um, again, you know, you go back and you look at their schedule, Michigan, and you could really say this for anybody, they have not faced an offense like Ohio state. Um, They have not faced an offense that can put up 40, 50 points on any given night really. So I think it's going to be a challenge for them, you know, as highly ranked as they are in a bunch of different metrics. This is a whole different beast that they're welcoming into Ann Arbor. So I think we're going to see more of the same from Ohio state. I hope that we are. And as long as CJ Stroud is as accurate and efficient as he has been for the last month plus, I I think we do see more Travion Henderson. I think that he's sort of been limited in his carries just because we've been blowing teams out. But I think this is a game where Travion Henderson probably has 20 carries, if not more. I think it's going to be a little bit more balanced than it was against Michigan State, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how Ohio State really runs their game plan in this one. I assume they will continue to run the Jackson Smith and Jigba play, which is literally just throwing to him for 8 to 10 yards per catch and him just always being wide open regardless of where he is on the field. That's a, that's a fun wrinkle to Ohio State's offense to just be able to do that. But I will be looking to see if they continue. I'm sure they will. If they continue to do a lot of this pre-snap motion, which they've done really the last two weeks, and I think that's done a ton to kind of mask some of their, mask some of their issues they've had in the run-blocking game. You know, with all this pre-snap motion... And a little bit more creativity in the run game, especially also with, you know, also flip-flopping back and forth between Trayvon Henderson and Mayim Williams, two different style runners, I think, is all all of that has played into a much better run game. And I do agree with what you're saying, how we could see a lot more Trayvon Henderson in this game and a little bit more from the Ohio State run game. But I do wonder if they will continue to run this kind of reverse offense where they use a little bit of the pass to set up the run. I think that's kind of the way to go. And I think that we've seen the last two weeks how well that could work when everything is clicking. And I don't, like I said, I don't expect them to have as easy a time throwing on the rock around as they did against Michigan State, but I just think with all of the luxuries Ohio State has in weapons on this on this offense and with the way C.J. Stroud is playing, if they can just continue to get everyone involved, keep moving guys around pre-snap, kind of keeping the defense on its toes, I think that there's you know there's almost too many skill guys on the field to cover at once. So Owen, someone is always generally open, and if if Stroud is able to find them, I think that you know Ohio State's definitely going to be able to put up points in this one. I don't see. You know, I don't see this Michigan defense holding Ohio State to like 20 points in this game. So I think if Ohio State continues to do what they've been doing and just continue to execute on their own, I don't know how much the defense on the other side of the field matters. Yeah, for as well as Michigan's defense has played throughout the year, if you just look at it and you say, if both of these units play up to their absolute best ability, you give the edge to Ohio State all day. You probably give the Ohio State offense the edge over any unit in the country. And I mean, you could argue Georgia's defense against Georgia's defense too. You know, I I don't know that if Ohio state is executing well, I I don't know if anybody can stop them, but it's a tough ask, man. Like it's not easy to go out there and put up 40, 50 points each week and, and not turn the ball over and have these big chunk plays series after series after series. So it's still going to come down to execution. You kind of, you throw some of the talent, some of the scheme things out a little bit. And when, you know, when it comes down to game time and some of these, you know, pressure situations, if they present themselves, who's going to execute more and who's going to execute well. And I I hope that Ohio state keeps it up and there's nothing 
about recent history, very recent history that tells me otherwise. There's nothing that tells me that they won't or they can't because they've been so impressive recently. Yeah, I've seen a lot of comparisons thrown around, and I I tend to agree with it, with this Ohio State team and the 2019 LSU team. Um, there's there's a lot similar between the two. You know, they're both teams with three very good wide receivers. LSU also obviously had, you know, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Terrace Marshall. Uh, both teams have a run game that isn't used a, a whole lot, but is very efficient when it is used. Um, both teams had a defense that was really bad early in the year and, and got better as the year gone on. And I'm not going to say that Ohio State's going to just steamroll their way to a national championship like that 2019 LSU team did, but I, I think there is some merit to that. And we're seeing a team that's very similar on both sides of the ball as that 2019 LSU squad. And I know they went on to win the national title and this Ohio State team has those same aspirations. But I do think that that is a valuable comparison. And when Ohio State's playing at its best, they are very similar to a team that at the time was looked at as one of the best co- best teams in all of college football history. So I think what Ohio State's been able to do on offense has been really special. I think their defense has been getting better and better with each week. And I think that they're coming into this game with a ton of confidence, especially with a blowout win over the number seven team in the country last week. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to like. I, I think Ohio State has the advantage in multiple spots. And while I do expect this to be a more competitive game, and I am, you know, a little more nervous about this this edition of the game than I have been in some of the past few years, I, I think that, you know, Ohio State should win this one comfortably in the end. And I, I do think that if they continue to play the game that they've played the last couple of weeks, especially, I don't think there's many teams in the country that could stop that. It would take, you know, I, I think for Ohio State to lose in this game or any game, it would take them you know, them themselves messing up or doing something stupid or, you know, a couple maybe turnovers that lead to, to points for the other team. I don't know. I would take it would take a great effort from this Michigan defense, which they're certainly capable of. But, you know, I, I think, you know, kind of like you said, if, if Michigan's playing their best game on defense, then I don't know even if that's enough to, to slow down the way Ohio State's playing offense right now unless they, you know, come into this game and decide to totally change it up on us. I don't I don't really know. I, I'm nervous too, and I know we'll get into our predictions, but the thing my nerves are derived from the fact that Ohio State is in the midst of a gauntlet right now. You know, they blew out Purdue, they blew out Michigan State, but when you look at it in totality, you're asking Ohio State if they want to win everything, win it all, to run through a top 25 at the time Purdue team, a top 17 in Michigan State, a top, let's say, five team, maybe a top four team in Michigan. Then, you know, if they get through this one, they're going to play in a Big uh, Big Ten championship game. Um, who knows who they're going to face? But, you know, if it's Wisconsin, that's another big ask. Wisconsin's been playing really, really well. And then from there, you're talking about a CFP playoff. So top 25, top seven, top four, top 20, and then two other top four teams if they want to accomplish their ultimate goal. So that's where I'm sort of nervous because it's like, yeah, it's Good, as great as I think this team is, it's a big ask to do it one, two, three, four, six games in a row. You know, and you can look back at some of these other teams in recent history. Um, I, I don't think Clemson ever had a gauntlet like this. I Alabama, maybe when the SEC was at its peak, had something comparable, but it's a big ask to have six games in potentially six games in a row like this and to come out unscathed through all of them. Um, You know, if they do it, it's going to be wildly impressive. I can't sit here and tell you it's their greatest championship or it would be their greatest championship or anything like that. I think that's apples to oranges, but I know that this potential six game slate, it's going to be huge. And it's, 
it's a daunting task, and it's, but it's one that I hope that Ryan Day and the Buckeyes are up for. Yeah, and you know that is the difference between this and the the 2019 LSU team. I think this this road for Ohio State is a bit tougher, and I think that while there's a chance that this team might be even as good as that 2019 LSU team, I think there's still a chance that they don't go all the way because of just how tough the road is and some of the, the reasons you outlined. I also don't think that you know should Ohio State get to the championship against what I would assume would be Georgia, I definitely don't think LSU played a defense quite at the level that that Georgia's is this year. So, um, you know, there have been you know early in the year people were saying they would have loved to see the the 2019 LSU offense against this 2021 Georgia. Georgia defense, and we may we may get a chance to see something similar to that later in the year if Ohio State is able to make their way all the way to the title game. But before that, they've got to win this Michigan game. So, Josh, let's get to our score predictions. I always make you go first, so I feel like I'll go first this time. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit more nervous for this one. The, the line being at 7 by Vegas honestly scares me a little bit more than, than anything else because Vegas is usually pretty close to their predictions, so I imagine we will kind of have to sweat this one out at least more than we did against Michigan State. The Michigan State game was over in the first quarter. I don't imagine this one will be over in the first quarter. Um, I do think there's a chance that Ohio State could run away with this one if they get off to a similar start than they did against Michigan State because, like I said, this, this Michigan team isn't built to really come from behind. They're not an explosive offense, so if they go down 14-21 early, I, I think that's pretty much curtains for this Michigan team, but I do think they will they'll play better than that. They're going to be more competitive. I think especially on offense, they'll be more competitive. So I am looking at, you know, final score, I'm going to say uh, 42-28 Ohio State. I think that it may be kind of a seven-point game late in the game, and Ohio State scores a late touchdown to really put it away, put it on ice. Um, but I don't see this being a game where Ohio State's putting the, the backups in in the second half. I don't think, you know, like I said, it could happen. Maybe there's a weird turnover early in the game where Ohio State just, just comes out and scores another two quick touchdowns like they did against the Spartans. But I think this is much more competitive. I think this is a good Michigan team. It's on the road. They're going to have the big house rocking. And, and I think it'll be a lot tougher tougher assignment than Michigan State was. And I think it'll be a very good game. But I think that at the end, Ohio State will just have too much talent to, to be overtaken. Yeah, we didn't talk about this before the pod. We usually don't, um, our predictions, that is. But ours are very similar, again. So I, I had come up with 41-31. I think that it will be close throughout, but I think that Ohio State wins it by you know 7 to 10 points. So I'm going to go 41-31. And you brought up the environment. I can speak from personal experience. I have been in the big house for one of these games. When I was in college, I went to uh, – uh, an Ohio State loss. And I, I'm not going to date myself too much. You guys can figure it out. But uh, the environment's awesome, man. Like, uh, you know, I can sit here and crap on Ann Arbor and, and the Michigan team all I want. But the game experience is, you know, it's up there. I, I haven't been to Death Valley and, and I haven't been to uh, some of those bigger games, those bigger venues. But I've been to Ann Arbor and I've been to Michigan Stadium it's intimidating. Uh, it's loud and they've got great fans for what it's worth. Um, I think they root for the wrong team, but they're great fans nonetheless. So I think it'll be interesting. I, I think it'll be a nail biter, but in the end, I think Ohio state pulls it out and I'm hopeful that hopeful that they are. But um, since we're talking about this game, you know, obviously what else would we be talking about? I want to put you on the spot a little bit. Um. We saw a couple of years ago, Chris Olave, and you mentioned it earlier, Chris Olave had his big breakout during a Michigan game. Give me a guy on either side of the ball who you think maybe could have a breakout, who hasn't already had one, like who's sort of a name that we've slept on or, you know, the national media and everyone has slept on from Ohio State that you think could have a bigger than normal impact in this game. 
You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to my roots, somebody that I talked about a lot earlier in the year, and I've kind of fallen off the hype train a bit because of another guy at his position that's, that's played pretty well. But I'm going to go with Mayan Williams. I, I think that the last couple weeks especially, Mayan Williams has played really, really well. I think he plays a really great style of running back for this Ohio State offense. I think he's done a good job of finding some holes that maybe aren't the biggest because of some of this, this offensive line's run-blocking struggles, but he's been really good at working his way through the holes. It helps to be a little 5'8", kind of sneak behind those big tackles on that line. I think he's done a great job of breaking tackles and you know against a team that's pretty physical like Michigan I think that's going to be really important um you know we've seen Trayvon Henderson get nicked up here and there this season I don't know how 100% healthy he is at this point you know it seems like he's good to go but it does seem like every every game or so he's getting like a a kind of a minor injury that holds him out for the rest of the game so I think Mayan Williams's toughness is going to be important in this game and I think it could be a big game for him you know there's going to be a lot of spots in this game where Ohio State is facing a, a third and three or third and two and they may just want to you know Give it to Mayan Williams, let him bust up the gut, and let him just get in there and, and billy his way to a first down. And I think that's going to be important for this Ohio State offense. I've kind of fallen off my Mayan Williams hive throughout this year, but, but I'm back on it for this game. I think that, you know, if anybody's, I'd feel really good about Mayan Williams having a good game in this one. I think he's earned it. You know, he's stuck through a, a very crowded room where, you know, he could have come into the season maybe as even the third or fourth guy in it. And he's quickly worked his way up to at least number two, at least not 1A, 1B with him and Travion Henderson. But yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking for Mayan Williams to have a big one in this game. And if we're talking on defense, I'm going to stick with my my uh, my Court Williams pick. I love seeing Court Williams out there. I love that he wears number two because it reminds me of Chase Young, and I get nice flashbacks from that. Uh, but yeah, I think you know if he's if he plays in this game, especially with the way Michigan plays offense and runs the ball a ton, I think uh, Court Williams could have a big game. So I'm going with two guys with the last name Williams. So I should have just said Williams for my prediction. <laughs> no, that's fair. Um, I'll go with Tommy Eichenberg. I mentioned him earlier in the pod. I think he's going to have a solid game. Um, on defense. And I'm going to go bold prediction. He's known for his ability against the run. I am going to predict that he comes up with Cade McNamara's third interception of the season. And on the other side of the ball, I don't think he's slept on. Uh, I just think he's been mitigated throughout the season by, by other guys. I think that Jeremy Ruckert could have a big game. You know, it's not a question of talent. It's a question of scheme and, and and things, everything else that Ohio State does. But the talent is there. I think Jeremy Ruckert is a hell of a tight end. I think he's going to be a good pro. And so, you know, Michigan State is going to be dialed in on C.J. Stroud and Travion Henderson and the three wide receivers. So, you know, that leaves maybe less emphasis, leads to less emphasis on a guy like Jeremy Ruckert. So uh, I'm going to say Jeremy Ruckert has a big game. Yeah, I could certainly see something like that. Ohio State seems to kind of go deep into their bag of tricks from this one. And I think that, you know, if you when you have the offense moving like this, especially with some of the pre-snap motion Ohio State's doing, Jeremy Rucker might get lost in the middle of that field as they're so focused on stopping guys, you know, the three wide receivers, earth, wind, and fire out there. And, you know, especially Ohio State's run, uh, running backs out of the backfield, which also haven't been thrown to a bunch. I would, would not be surprised if we saw more of that in this game because it seemed like earlier in the season that was really successful and they've gone away from that a bit recently. I wonder if we see more of that against these, you know, these talented linebackers Michigan has. So I would not be surprised if Jeremy Ruckert has at least more catches than he's had recently. I think he only had one catch against Michigan State, but it went for like 20, 25 yards. So wouldn't be surprised to see him get more involved in the offense this weekend. But while we're on the topic of uh, rivalry games, we'll, we'll kind of end the podcast here talking about some of the other rivalries going on this game. Um, going on this this weekend, I should say. 
Um, there are a couple that are, are pretty important for for the standings and for the, the playoff picture. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is obviously Alabama at Auburn. Um, Alabama's coming to this game as a nearly 20-point favorite, uh, mostly because Auburn is missing Bo Nix. Um, I, I kind of thought this was a game that Auburn had a chance to win with the way Alabama's been playing, but I don't know if they quite have the juice without their starting quarterback. you feel the same way? Yeah, I, I think that anything is possible with Bo Nix, both good and bad. But if he's going to be out, then I think Alabama just, you know, runs rough shot. Yeah, I don't I don't see that going particularly well for for War Eagle over there. But the one that the honestly, the bigger game for for playoff contention is actually Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. Um, this is an interesting one in the Big 12 because, you know, both teams come into this game at 10 and one. If Oklahoma State wins this game, they will go on to play Baylor in the Big 12 championship game. If Oklahoma wins, then they will rematch Oklahoma State in the, the Big 12 championship game. So, you know, I, I think that in typical Big 12 fashion, this team, this this conference is going to beat itself into the ground. So I actually think that Oklahoma wins this weekend and then loses in the championship game to Oklahoma State and the Big 12 kind of plays itself out of the playoffs. That would be uh, one of the more humorous outcomes I, you know what, just to make it interesting, I'll, I'll say it's flipped. I think Oklahoma State wins this week, and then uh, I assume that they would still play in the Big 12 championship, and then I say Oklahoma wins that game. Well, they would, if Oklahoma State wins, they'll play Baylor. But they could also win this game okay, and then lose then. to Baylor. Either way, tell you what, I'm going to hedge my bets. Either way, Oklahoma State doesn't win the Big 12 championship. There you go. I covered Work, myself. Works for me. Works for me. Uh, other than that, um, in the ACC, if either NC State or Wake Forest wins, they will officially knock Clemson out of the ACC title race, which is something that we love to see. Um, not much else in terms of big rivalries this week. Obviously, Ole Miss plays Mississippi State in that kind of in-state rivalry, but who cares? Um, Oregon plays Oregon State. Once again, who really cares? Uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota's interesting. Uh, that and the Iowa game, which I'm can't find who's I oh I was playing Nebraska fun so okay so Nebraska will lose by one score to Iowa and then if uh, Wisconsin would have to win that game against Minnesota to to make it to the Big Ten title game so the if if Minnesota wins and Iowa wins then Iowa goes to the Big Ten title game but if Wisconsin wins and uh, Iowa lose now I think if I, I think either way if Wisconsin wins they're in but if Iowa I don't know it's the Big Ten West is is throwing me for a loop here I'm pretty sure Wisconsin wins they're in you know what? You're not a bracketologist. That's fine. I don't hold it against you. Uh, I, I'll tell you this, though. I would rather see Iowa or Minnesota or whomever. I don't want to see Wisconsin in a potential Big Ten championship game. I know that we have housed them before with better teams, but that, uh, that teenage running back they have, his name's escaping me right now. I want no part of him. As good as Ohio State's run defense has been good, and we've talked about it quite a bit, uh, that guy's a monster. <laughs> and, you know, Wisconsin always has a, a way of sort of uh, being a thorn in our side. Again, not not always. You know, we've trounced them in some big games. But uh, give me the Hawkeyes or give me P.J. Fleck again. I'll take either of those two teams over the Badgers. Yeah, Braylon Allen is the man you were talking about. He is yes. 17 years old. Uh, he's already got over 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns on the season. He is an absolute stud. Um, and just confirming my math here, it is win and you're in for Wisconsin uh, because they have the the head-to-head over Iowa. Um, Iowa needs to... If Iowa and Wisconsin both win, Wisconsin goes 
Um, so that's that's what we're looking out for here. If, if Wisconsin loses and Iowa wins, Iowa is in. So it's kind of win if you're in for Wisconsin, and if Wisconsin loses, then Iowa would have to beat Nebraska, which you know doesn't seem too hard. But every team has lost by a score. Nebraska is Nebraska's one score in each game away from being like ten and three this season. That's kind of nuts. Yeah, it's almost impressive how they've been able to lose so many close games, and I, I think. The fact that they've been so competitive in so many games is the sole reason that Scott Frost has a job for at least another year. I think it's got nothing to do with buyout. I think it's got nothing to do with other potential candidates. I think that that, you know, that board, that university, they have kind of talked themselves into the potential of having that 10 win season. But, uh, you know, look, between you, me and the listeners, I, I don't see it. Nebraska this season has played number three, number 20, number nine, number five, and number 15, and their biggest margin of defeat was to Ohio State by nine. <laughs> I mean, that is yeah. impressive stuff. Like that, Nebraska fans have got to be ripping their hair out because they're like, they're like a total of like 15 points away from instead of being three and eight to being like eight and three. It's, it's actually insane. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe if I were part of that uh, that environment or that atmosphere, maybe I could talk myself into the same thing. But, you know, it, it's one thing to be in all of these close games. It's another thing to have the ability to win them. And it's always something. Like, Nebraska doesn't usually lose as a result of, like, a fluky play against them so much as, like, they are the reason for, and they cause the fluky play. And that comes down to coaching, in my humble opinion. Yeah, and that, that was your Nebraska football hour here at Land Grant Holy Land. Um, <laughs> I think it's, think it's probably a good time to wrap the podcast up there. I'm sure we'll be back next week telling you about how Nebraska lost by four to Iowa. But nonetheless, um, this has been Hangout in the Holy Land. We will be back with you after the Michigan game to recap everything that goes down. Hopefully, we'll be back discussing an Ohio State win and be be ready to talk about a Big Ten championship the following week. So uh, hopefully, everybody, hopefully everybody enjoys their Thanksgiving. Um, eat a lot of food and then wake up the next morning and eat a ton of leftovers. That's always a great time. Thanksgiving leftovers, fire, by the way. Like probably the best, you know, in terms of holidays, it's the best leftovers you're going to get for sure. Okay, so yeah, I'm not we're not we're not finishing the pod without talking about this for at least a brief second. What is your go-to leftover your go-to Thanksgiving leftover meal? Mm, that's a good one. I mean, a turkey sandwich is always like the 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 fire one but honestly i'm not a huge turkey guy i think it's probably like in terms of all the stuff on their thanksgiving table i think it's one of the worst dishes it's not bad but i think you know stuffing i love love mashed potatoes love me uh some uh sweet potato uh so i I think there's a lot of fire dishes on thanksgiving turkey is not one of my top ones but i think you know i'm going i need some stuffing on there just douse it in gravy uh probably like a turkey sandwich with that um, anything goes. I once actually, I used to work in a pizza place and the, you know, the couple of days after Thanksgiving, we'd make a Thanksgiving leftover pizza with, which would have like, you know, turkey and stuffing and a little like cranberry sauce on it. It's really good. Uh, but yeah, you know, that's probably my, my go-to there. Okay. So to recap, Gene just pissed on the entire Thanksgiving holiday because he says he doesn't like turkey. Um, I'm sure he's going to catch some heat for that, but uh, I'm actually kind of with you because it, it might be great day of, but when it comes, you know, next day leftover time, the turkey's dry. I don't care what you do to it. So you need to, you know, augment that with the sandwich ingredients. It's some sort of good bread. Got to be a hearty bread because this is going to be a big, you know, messy sandwich. Um, so an, a nice hearty bread. And then it's 
little bit of Miracle Whip. It's your turkey. It's your stuffing. And then it's cranberry sauce as the topper. The sandwich is always the go-to. Absolutely. And, you know, there's people might think they like turkey, but there's no way you're going to tell me that, like, if the Thanksgiving tradition was like a nice brisket instead, that you wouldn't prefer that over turkey. It, it comes down to this. How, how many other days throughout the year are you eating like whole oven roasted turkey? I mean, I yeah, think, you might eat it on just, a... I think that proves my point. If the turkey was better, we'd be eating it more. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a fair argument. Uh, you know, it, it does some things to your senses. It obviously makes you tired. So it's a downer. Um, some would say it, it's a, a harmful drug, really, if you want to look at it that way. So um, what did, uh, no, he was talking about chicken, but like um, Jim Harbaugh would call it like the, the squirrely bird or the weird bird or something like that. I, I think he, I think I think he said it was I, a nervous bird. I think that was the quote. There you go. And I don't remember if he was talking about turkey or chicken. And, and you know, we're kind of getting off topic here, but Thanksgiving is its own topic. It's timely. So I think it was an important for us to at least hit on that and throw out some good kind of recommendations for leftovers. And, you know, I think it's also a good time to, if you're not already a fan, introduce some of the heavier, darker lager type of beers. You know, it's that type of, it's that time of year. You can throw the IPAs out the window. So also along with my leftover sandwich, I like to have, uh, you know, a nice dark beer, maybe even a Christmas beer. You know, those are coming out. It, it might be time for the Great Lakes Christmas Ale or something like that. Whatever, whatever you choose, but throw the IPAs out the window. Nice dark beer to go with your big messy sandwich. I am a sucker for seasonal beers, but If you've made it this far, uh, that'll do it for us. Uh, we'll be back, like I said, this weekend for you to wrap up the the Ohio State Michigan game. Hopefully, it's another. Hopefully, it's the 16th of 17th, uh, 16 of 17 wins for Ohio State in the last 17 years. Um, and yeah, that that'll be do it. Be sure to stick with us for all of our coverage this week as leading up to the game. Uh, be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff with the podcast. And for Josh, Julie, I am Gene Ross. We will see you this weekend. And as always, go Bucks.